Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our weekly podcast on legal issues in the post-COVID world. My name is Gil Porter, a partner at Haynes & Boone and chair of our COVID-19 task force. Our topic today is labor and employment, getting back to work. We've touched on this a little bit already, and certainly in this week's webinar, we had a very active dialogue, but we're planning this as a multi-week presentation because the topics are really rather complex and are very topical. Nathan Koppel, our Director of Media Relations, is going to continue in his role as moderator of this series. But first, our usual disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. Moreover, by its very nature, the topics we discuss on these podcasts will be fast-moving, subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. that, let me give it up to you, Nathan. Thanks, Gil. So today is April the 30th, and we have a return guest to the podcast, Jason Habinski, who's a partner in our New York office and chair of our labor and employment group. Jason has thought about, written about, and talked to a lot of companies about today's topic, which is returning to work. As lockdowns are being lifted in states across the country, companies have a lot to think about in terms of what it's going to take to prepare their workplaces to allow employees to feel safe about returning to the office. As I mentioned, Jason was on the podcast last week, and he also did a fascinating webcast this week about the topic, both of which are available at Haynes & Boone's COVID-19 resource page on our website at HaynesBoone.com. Jason, today I, I want to start with a threshold question. As employers are thinking about resuming normal operations, I'm sure it's not like they're just going to flip a switch and automatically invite all their employees back into the workplace at once. How should companies think about who to bring back? Which employees? And should they do it sort of on a staggered basis? It's a good question, Nathan. And the, the short answer is they should do it very, very carefully. There are so many considerations that an employer needs to keep in mind in deciding who to bring back into the workplace. First and foremost, of course, they need to think about the business needs. Which employees and which positions and titles do they actually need to do the work? Is there going to be a ramp up period? Is there going to be full productivity? Is there going to be a redundancy in certain functions? So an employer, first and foremost, needs to think about what they need on the business side. Of course, for safety precautionary reasons, you don't want to bring in additional employees that you don't need. In addition to that, of course, you want to think about health and safety. How can you do so in a way which is going to promote safety and a healthful workplace? So one important consideration is whether you bring back employees in staggered shifts or staggered days, or whether you ease employees back into the workplace in order to eliminate the crowding and try to keep the so-called social distancing even within the workplace. Also, it's important to keep in mind that an employer is not going to make decisions which are going to look discriminatory on their face. In other words, they don't want to target a particular protected category much in the way an employer would consider who to terminate as part of a reduction in force. I would actually advise that an employer do a statistical or composition analysis of who they're bringing back. Look at the numbers and see whether there's a particular protected category, which on its face looks like it's being targeted, whether it's gender, race, national origin. 
And then under these circumstances, even more so, are there certain individuals who might have a propensity to being at risk due to the coronavirus or other illnesses, such as someone who is uh, over a certain age, as we've seen the directives and the health information suggests that individuals over the age of 65 are at higher risk, women who are pregnant, others with preconditions, health conditions, uh, but with the latter, it's really important to understand that you can't target those individuals. You can't discriminate, but you certainly can accommodate. So you don't want to be asking individuals, just like you wouldn't before the pandemic, hey, are you pregnant? Hey, do you have any illnesses we should know about? An employer should be prepared for is to get inquiries or have conversations with employees who raise these issues or concerns because they're pregnant or they're over a certain age. And then an employer needs to engage in the interactive process they ordinarily would with an employee who's requesting accommodation and see if there are accommodations, whether it's allowing someone to continue to work remotely for a period of time or whether to allow them some additional time before they come back into the workplace. So I apologize, that was a mouthful, but there really is a lot for employers to consider. And as they're thinking about maybe doing staggered work schedules, I I suppose they could have certain employees work, say, from, I don't know, nine to noon and others work from 12 to later in the afternoon and and so forth. Are there overtime regulations that they need to think about? That's a good question. Uh, Staggering the workforce, changing hours, changing days, that really can trigger a whole host of wage and hour obligations even before getting into overtime. The first thing to keep in mind is Does a change in an individual's hours or wages trigger a notice requirement under federal or state law? So it's important for an employer to make sure that they are complying with the appropriate paperwork. In other words, notice to an employee that their hours or their wages are being changed, whether it's working more or working less. That's certainly the first thing to check. Also, as you mentioned, there are potential overtime-related issues. First and foremost, under federal and state laws, there is a a salary threshold for qualifying for an exemption to overtime, and that is at a certain threshold. So what you have to make sure is by reducing someone's hours or having them work less shifts, are you also bringing their salary under that threshold? If you do that, they're no longer exempt for overtime and, in fact, would be required to pay them overtime. Essentially, they become from an exempt employee to a non-exempt employee. Also, you'll have to keep in mind how many hours is an employee going to work now? Are some employees going to work over 40 hours in a week or now they get to dip below 40 hours in a week? Because, of course, that could trigger an obligation to pay overtime for those hours over 40 in a particular week. In addition to that, for exempt employees, one thing to keep in mind that under most laws, including federal law, if an exempt employee works one hour a week, they're entitled to whatever their salary is. So one thing to keep in mind, if you're having an exempt employee work at a particular salary and they're working very few hours, you may want to adjust that salary so they're not working five hours in a week and getting paid the same salary they would have gotten paid before the pandemic. I know, Jason, you've talked and written about the topic of what employers need to think about as they start to create screening procedures for employees to see if they exhibit symptoms of COVID-19. And again, I refer listeners to webcast and in our earlier podcasts, which go into that subject. But I want to ask you about these screenings. If an employee were to display COVID-19 symptoms as outlined by the CDC, can an employer require, I would imagine, those employees to then quarantine at home? 
Absolutely. And I think it's critically important to follow the guidance of the CDC. And once the employees come back to the workplace, the analysis is going to be similar to the time leading up to the pandemic and the social distancing and then the closing of most workplaces. So if there is an employee who comes back to work or after a period of time demonstrates symptoms that could be attributed to the coronavirus, then you would want to take those same steps. You would want them to have that checked out. You would want them to quarantine for at least 14 days. And essentially, you want to go through the checklist directed by the CDC in order to prevent them from spreading the coronavirus to others in the workplace. So it's the same steps you would have taken a few weeks ago or a month or two ago. What if an employee displays symptoms of COVID-19 and is asked to work remotely, but just thinks the employer is being overly cautious and Seems like there are many out there who may harbor philosophical, political questions about how we respond to the virus and how cautious we need to be. Does an employer, again, can they, I guess, effectively require that employee against his or her doubts to follow company policy on this? My advice always is to steer to the side of caution, particularly with something like the coronavirus. There's still some question as to the effect, how it's spread, the results, what antibodies mean. And none of the employers, very few of, of our employers are actually in the health or medical professions. So the best course of action is really to just stick to the guidance and directives of the CDC. Everyone's going to have a different opinion as to whether or not certain measures are too strict or not strict enough. So the fallback position and the best one is always to say, hey, listen, we're going to rely on what the experts are saying, what the medical experts, what the epidemiologists are saying, what our government, whether it's federal or state government, is telling us to do. This is not the employer deciding, making judgment calls as to what they're comfortable with or what symptoms to look for or when to send an employee home. That's why the safest course really is to say, hey, I'm just pointing to the directives by the CDC. That is the guidance of the experts, not the judgment calls of the employer. Curious to get your thoughts, Jason, on contact tracing. There's been a lot of commentary about it as we resume business operations and lift lockdowns and contact tracing is going to be a really important thing to make sure we contain the spread of the virus. Is this something that employers can and should be doing? Can they create their own contact tracing protocols? Certainly, and that there has been a lot of guidance, both from the government and others, that contact tracing will be an effective tool to really determine who has been exposed to the virus and prevent others from being exposed to the virus. And it is indeed an effective tool and can be an effective tool, but what employers need to keep in mind, and particularly in my field as an employment lawyer, there are obviously serious risks of that that an employer needs to consider and understand how to control. When someone is doing contact tracing, essentially what an employer can gain and learn is, is everything about them, who they associate with, who they're in a relationship with, their sexual orientation, where they go to church or synagogue, off-duty activities they participate in. So what it really does is it opens up a wealth of information for employers to potentially use in a way which is discriminatory or unlawful. So an employer needs to understand that and to the extent an employer is gonna heed the guidance of those who are suggesting contact tracing is an effective mechanism, 
the employer really needs to take protective steps to make sure that employers, managers, other employees aren't utilizing or taking advantage of that information in a way which is unlawful or discriminatory. And, and ways you can do that are to really control who has access to that information. Designate certain individuals within the employer, for example, human resources professionals, and it's their eyes only. No one else is seeing this information. In addition to that, do training. Make sure whether it's the HR professionals, managers, or whoever is going to potentially have access to this information understands the purpose of gaining that information, understands the potential risks of using it in a way which could be deemed unlawful. So I do think it's really important to control that information, to delegate the responsibility to certain individuals. And even if they're professionals and even if it's their job to understand these risks, still take the additional step of training and offering guidance so that everyone's on the same page. On a related note, I would think many companies are by necessity are really going to have to try to grasp and perhaps restrict what employees are doing outside of the workplace. I'm sure many employees, now that we're opening up economies, are going to be excited to get out there and you know go to movies and perhaps travel and maybe even go to concerts or other large gatherings. Is this something that companies can monitor and, and possibly restrict this kind of behavior? I do think everyone, including myself, is going to be excited to do all the things we haven't been able to do these last few months. And, and I'm certain employees are going to want to travel and going to want to go to a ball game or a concert and, and do the, the fun activities we haven't been able to do. And of course, that, you know, that does pose a risk, as we've learned that as you associate, as you're closer to other individuals, there's a higher potential risk of being infected by the virus and spreading the virus. So it is something an employer should certainly keep in mind, but understands that various states do have laws protecting any action taken against someone engaging in outside of off-duty activities. For example, you can't terminate someone or discipline someone for what they do outside of work. And in the traditional context, this was generally applied to unionized activities and engaging in political activities. But the various state laws are actually expanded beyond that. Something so silly as what recreational activities you support, what sports teams you support, what you like to drink and eat outside of work. The laws are actually pretty funny to read. But with that said, what that means is an employer can't discipline someone for going to a ball game or a concert or a movie or going to Las Vegas to a casino. It may certainly be deemed as risky but an employer can't take action because of that. But what that doesn't mean is that an employer can't be vigilant and in the ordinary course, ask employees if they've been traveling, what they've been doing to some extent, and most importantly, just having protocols in place. That's why it's important to have all of these safety protocols, whether you're temperature checking, whether you're looking out for symptoms. So if the employee who does go to the concerts or the baseball stadium tour across the country comes back and unfortunately is demonstrating symptoms of being ill, you know, that's something the employer can take action on. It. So it's not the employer saying, you know, why'd you go to the baseball game? Why did you travel? Why'd you get on a plane? Instead, it's the employer taking ordinary course reaction to an employee who's symptomatic. I would think in a lot of cases now, it's going to be employees who may be sounding the alarm or blowing a whistle about their coworkers if they learn a coworker is engaged in risky behavior and they report that to an employer. How should employers manage that kind of process of coworker vigilantes? 
That's a good question. And I do think you're going to have coworkers who are hypersensitive, who are on edge, and it's, it's understandable. Everyone's nervous and everyone's going to continue to be nervous about someone in the workplace being sick. I do feel bad for the employee who has an allergy or has the common cold or has a dry throat and starts coughing. And, you know, that alone may raise the alert of a coworker who happens to be nearby. I think that an employer has to be ready for that. You are going to have employees who are going to be ratting out or complaining or concerned about other employees. And I think that an employer needs to reassure the employee that the employer takes the health of the workplace very seriously. There are protocols in place to address that and will take appropriate action as necessary. I don't think you want to discourage employees from raising concerns because obviously some of these concerns are going to be legitimate and there might be an employee who truly is sick and an employer does need to be on notice. So I think an employer needs to be thoughtful about this. And even if employees are overreacting, and maybe it's just going to be at first as employees come back to the workplace, an employer needs to be prepared for that. Not necessarily encourage it, but not discourage it either. And just reassure employees that the employer has appropriate protocols in place and will take appropriate steps as necessary. I want to pivot now to the topic of mental health. Of course, the pandemic has triggered so many issues around anxiety and probably isolation and depression for many people and wondering how employers need to think about and deal with employees' mental health if employees, for whatever reason, just feel too anxious about returning to work and really prefer to feel safer to work from home. Is that something that employers need to be cognizant of and and accommodate if they can? Absolutely. My wife is a doctor and a professor in psychology, so this is actually something I've been talking a lot about with her. I mean, our kids think we're geeks, both talking about work at the dinner table, but that is something that she is really concerned about, And as am I. The pandemic obviously has taken such a significant toll, both physically, economically, and emotionally on on everybody. So you do have to expect and employers should expect that employees, as they come back to the workplace, are going to have a whole host of new potential issues, health issues, psychological issues, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder from an unfortunate circumstance as a result of the pandemic, even just the transition back to being around people. All of us have been essentially holed up in our homes and not had access to other people. So just for some employees coming back into a crowded workplace with people and coworkers could be shocking, could be stressful. Employees could have suffered additional psychological harm, depression, and other psychological issues. So I do believe that an employer needs to be thoughtful and needs to be understanding and needs to be prepared to offer services and support to its employees concerning wellness and health and advise and recommend that employees take advantage of employee assistant program services and really be ready to offer support to employees. And this could also be with respect to accommodating any sort of requests of employees who approach the employer and indicate that they have some sort of psychological or emotional disability or harm and do need some help it's taking some additional time off, whether it's a change in hours, whether it's a component of working from home in order to accommodate these these issues. So employers do need to be prepared to really address these issues. And again, it is important to make sure that there are certain individuals within the workplace. Again, human resources professionals are well-equipped to handle these requests. 
So it is important to task and delegate this responsibility. And it's a critically important responsibility to certain individuals within the workplace. At the same time, though, I would think many companies are as busy, if not even busier than they were pre-pandemic, and they really need employees to ramp up productivity pretty quickly upon return to the workplace. I mean, how much can employers over time really expect and demand their employees to return to their pre-existing productivity standards for the company? I think we all have to keep in mind that employers, their job is to run a business. So while I think it is important for employers to understand that there might be some minor hiccups as employees return to work, I do not think that there's a problem with employers expecting employees to be productive, just like they were before the pandemic and just as they hopefully were when working in a different environment at home. So like I said, I do think employers have to be thoughtful and understand that there might be the day where the employer, where the employee is a few minutes late because they forgot what it's like to take mass transportation and you know the potential delays, but I would not let that become a habit. And I think it's important. What I do, of course, is making sure employers Put themselves in a position to address any employee performance related issues and other related issues. So you do want to be in a position to have an appropriate paper trail of any potential issues, whether it's performance issues, whether it's issues regarding lateness and tardiness. What you do want to be able to show is, hey, this was an issue before the pandemic and before the workplace temporarily closed down, and this is still an issue now, and hopefully address it. I mean, most importantly, what an employer wants to do is offer counseling and guidance to an employee so that the employee can improve whatever the issue is and get back to full 100% productivity. So I would say just as a, as a final thought on that, maybe what an employer should do is instead of making an aggressive personnel decision and immediately terminating someone right upon their return to the workplace, there is an opportunity to offer some counseling or guidance or even a warning if there are issues, just to make sure it's not, to use the legal term, a hiccup, and really try to help employees get back to full productivity. Well, I feel like we have probably just barely scratched the surface and could talk for another hour about these topics, but I, but I do want to let you get back to your, your day job, Jason. Thank you again for walking us through some of the, these important issues that employers need to think about. And again, I would just invite listeners to check out Haynes & Boone's COVID-19 page, which is available on the homepage of our website. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Nathan. And yes, we have indeed only scratched the surface, which is why we'll be doing this as a series of discussions, both in webinars and podcasts. So please stay in touch with us on that. Again, a reminder that our first webinar was earlier this week and is available on our website. And we have an upcoming one coming on Tuesday. So please keep an eye out for that. Thank you for listening to our podcast series on COVID-19 issues. Nathan has reminded you that you can find these COVID-19 podcasts entitled On Track at our website. We also have a companion series on energy tracker issues that you can find at the same location. And the location is at hainesboone.com, H-A-Y-N-E-S-B-O-O-N-E.com. Please also feel free to reach out to me or Nathan Koppel if you have any suggestions for further podcast topics. And let us know if there are any podcast platforms we've missed. We certainly think we've covered the ones, but if there are ones you need, let us know. Take care, everyone, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Mm-hmm.